This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. Wendy Christin, health coach and wellness practitioner at Integrated Health Solution, where she's been in practice since 2005. New figures uh, released by the International Diabetes Federation show that over 4 million adults in the country are affected by the condition. Just under half of people living with diabetes in South Africa are undiagnosed. One in three are at high risk of developing type 2 diabetes. And that's what we mentioned earlier. 4.2 million adults in South Africa are living with diabetes. One in nine. That's pandemic stuff. On the line is Wendy Christin. Uh, this insert sponsored by Mana Health Products, the only 100% natural organic supplement for blood sugar control. Morning, Wendy. Those are pretty scary stats. Good morning, Brad. Yes, they are. Um, it really is scary, um, especially if you're thinking that there's supposed to be a drive towards health and these numbers are increasing day by day. We don't want to discredit what COVID was all about, so this is not a, a conversation about that. But we were so focused on those numbers, and rightly so, but when you compare them to the numbers of diabetes, this is a pandemic in itself, right? It absolutely is. It really is something that we need to step up and take notice of and do something drastic about to change the, um, the trajectory of where this is heading. So that's why this conversation is so important. I think it starts with education and understanding, and that's what we want to do here this morning. We know about type 1 and type 2, which are the two main kinds of diabetes. Uh, You've mentioned that there might be a third. Tell us more about that. Yes, so research is starting to show that what they're calling a type 3 diabetes, which is diabetes of the brain, um, and can definitely be a factor in people who are struggling with cognitive disorders like dementia and Alzheimer's disease. So let's get right back. We're talking about type 1 and type 2. Sometimes we get confused between the two or we acknowledge we're just not sure. So can you walk us through what type 1 is? Yes. So type 1 is an autoimmune condition. So this is where the immune system mistakenly attacks the um, pancreas's beta cells and it destroys them in the process. And then the pancreas can't produce insulin anymore. And so the onset of type 1 diabetes usually starts in childhood. Often it's diagnosed early, but it can appear in um, early adulthood. But it's normally a sudden onset. It's not a slow, progressive onset like diabetes 2 is. And as Almarie said earlier, it's often a genetic disorder and it's more common in people who already have family members who have type 1 diabetes. Okay, so then let's look at the second one and this will help to then be able to differentiate between the two. Tell us more then what is type 2? So type 2 is more commonly a lifestyle disease. And as I said earlier, it develops more slowly. So, you know, the statistics are showing that as well. Many people are walking around, they don't even know that they have diabetes, but um, their bodies are already starting to show the signs. Um, And they can be pre-diabetic for many years before actually being diagnosed as diabetic or even becoming full-blown diabetics. So what exactly is pushing you over the edge if you're pre-diabetic and you don't know that you have diabetes? What's what's happening and what's pushing you over the edge? So I think the continuous lifestyle is, is one of the things that pushes you over the edge. But the diabetes actually impairs the way, or diabetes, the condition, impairs the way that the body is able to use glucose. Glucose is derived from the sugars that we get from our diets. Um, and that comes, it's a normal process. So the body makes glucose out of the foods that we're eating. When we're eating very high um, glycemic index foods, that glucose production is a lot faster. 
And then the cell receptors become less sensitive to the insulin. So instead of going into the cells to be used for energy, the sugar then starts circulating in the bloodstream. So with a pre-diabetic person, they can still have fairly normal levels of glucose, but their insulin starts to spike. And that often isn't measured until later on. When they have these continually high blood sugar levels, Mm. that can cause damage to the arteries and then obviously disrupt the nervous and um, immune systems as well. Okay, so tell us more about insulin. What is that and where does it come from? Okay, so insulin is secreted by the pancreas and it's designed to regulate our sugar metabolism. In a healthy person, we will get a spike in our blood sugar. That's very normal. We eat a meal and it triggers the um, body to release insulin. When it's released appropriately, then the insulin lowers our blood sugar levels and whatever's left over, the body stores in the liver for later use. If we don't eat another meal in time, then the the liver converts that back into into glucose and then the body can use it to maintain um, a stable blood sugar level. But with type 2 diabetes, that doesn't happen. So the sugar then accumulates in the bloodstream. So it's that when they do the measurement, uh, Wendy, when you go for a test and they'll prick your finger and they'll take a bit of blood, then that little uh, machine is able to then register that sugar that's accumulated in the bloodstream and then gives you a reading which is either good or bad. That's right. And as I said, with with, um, pre-diabetes, that glucose reading, that little finger prick might be okay. Um, And then people think, oh, well, I'm doing all right. But that is quite deceptive because you have a um, there's a blood test that you can do to check a, a longer term sugar and you can see what your average glucose is over a period of time, um, and then they can also test for your insulin levels. But that they generally only do when they start to see evidence in the little finger prick um, test that the, the blood sugar is starting to rise. So the finger prick test is one thing, and then there's a fasting one that you can have done as well. What would you recommend? Because we want to nip this in the bud. If, if we're looking at these stats and so many people are pre-diabetic and we want to make sure we're doing okay so we can make the necessary changes before it's too late, uh, what is the best way to go about this? Uh, acknowledging as well that there's obviously a cost involved and for many that's not always an, uh, a possibility where there's a cost involved. It is, it is tricky because they are expensive, the tests are expensive to do. Um, but if, if there's any, so if, if you are overweight, um, if there's any central obesity, so weight or carrying weight around the tummy area, um, then that's something that you would want to check at least once a year. You go, go for a blood test, they can check something called the HbA1c, um, which is that long-term um, sugar. It gives you an average glucose over about a three-month period. Um, and then for people who are starting to show symptoms, there's a glucose tolerance test. And there you go to the lab and they take your blood and then they give you a glucose drink and then they redo your blood again about two hours later. And they can see how your body has responded to that. And they can check your insulin and your glucose in that way. Apart from these tests that you're talking about, is there any signs that we're looking for in our own bodies that can start give us, giving us clues that something's not right? Yes. So there are a number of different signs. Um, so increased thirst and frequent urination are probably two of the most prominent ones. Um, people can feel more hungry, but they can lose weight. Um, and I've, I've seen with many people, they say, oh, but I'm losing weight and I'm not doing anything about, you know, I'm not doing anything to lose the weight. That's actually a concern. Mm. Um, it's, it can be an indicator that something is going on there. We spoke about the increased waist circumference, so the central obesity, so that's fat around the middle. Fatigue, 
Blurred vision is another one. When your blood sugar is unstable, your vision changes throughout the day. And you can find, oh, you know, like after lunch, you can't really focus on whatever it is that you're reading anymore. That's a t that's an indicator as well. Um, slow healing sores. So if you have wounds, um, especially leg um, ulcers and those kind of things, that can be an indication. Getting sick often, so frequent infections. And then numbness or tingling in the hands and feet. So the nerve endings start to get damaged. And another common one is darkened areas of skin, usually around the armpits or in the neck area can be, uh, you know, you haven't been suntanning, but you've got these darkened areas. Mm. That, that is a typical sign of blood sugar imbalance. So, Wendy, looking at type 2 and type 1, I know we touched very briefly on type 3, but let's focus on the ones that we know best, type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Which of these, if we were to get the correct guidance, uh, is potentially reversible, assuming that there's no damage then to the pancreas? So that would be type 2 diabetes because that really is a lifestyle disease. Type 2 diabetes, if, if, you, if, the, if you're not an insulin-dependent type 2 diabetic, then that condition is entirely reversible with lifestyle change. So what kind of lifestyle change then would you need to consider to potentially reverse type 2 diabetes? So weight loss is very important. We need to be an optimal weight. You need to have the right body composition, so the right muscle-to-fat ratio. Um, it's important that we get enough exercise and sleep is also extremely important because if we have disrupted sleep or if we have a lack of sleep, that can disrupt our blood sugar metabolism as well and keep us in that diabetic or pre-diabetic phase. I know we've spoken about sleep in a lot of detail before, but this is such a vital part of our lives and God's made us in such a way that so many systems are regulated and refreshed and reset when we're sleeping that the less we sleep, the more damage we're doing to ourselves as opposed to trying to be impressive, you know, by how little we sleep and how hard we work. Yes, yes. Our bodies need sleep. There's a lot of um, things that happen, a lot of um, metabolic processes that happen. Our brain organizes all sorts of things while we sleep. But there have been studies that have shown that they have done, they've you know, purposefully deprived people of sleep and it has put them into a diabetic state. Um, so we cannot forego the sleep. We really need to be making sure that we're getting a good number of hours of sleep every every day and the right number of hours for our bodies. It differs between, uh, you know, from person to person, but um, we just need to make sure that we are getting a good quality sleep every night. So we're talking about maintaining a, a, a healthy weight, which is vital, getting that sleep uh, in terms of potentially reversing type 2 diabetes. But what about what we put in our mouths? Yeah, so the, the reduction of refined carbohydrates is um, very, very important, as well as sugars, sweeteners. We spoke about sweeteners recently. S sweeteners keep making us hungry, so they continually trigger that sugar cycle and that desire to eat unhealthy foods. And then obviously our junk food consumption. We need to be reducing that uh, the, the amount of junk food that we're putting into our bodies because those are laden with all sorts of things that are going to keep us in that pre-diabetic state or diabetic if you are diabetic already. So this is essential. I mean, if we're looking at the numbers of people living with diabetes and who are potentially pre-diabetic and don't even know it in South Africa, we, we can't hear what Wendy's showing this morning and ignore it. Something has to be done. We have to look at the warning signs. We have to look at the uh, potential side, uh, signs and, and symptoms. We need to get tested if we can, get in touch with someone like Wendy, your doctor, uh, a nurse, get to the clinic, do whatever you can. Um, and for those who are on medical aid, often you get the opportunity to do it for free once or twice a year. So find out all about that, but don't say, 
um, I didn't know. Rather find out before it's too late. Wendy, thank you. It's all we've got time for this morning. Always appreciate your input. This podcast will be available for you later today, and it's one to share as well. So thanks so much, Wendy. Pleasure. Have a great Thursday, Brad. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.